That is my children's favorite sermon intro video so far that we have chosen to introduce the series. A couple of weeks ago, Adeline had caught on to uh, what we were talking about on Sunday morning, and she said, wait, you called a series My Big Fat Mouth? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, but isn't that much better than your big fat mouth? So that's what we're, we're at least receiving conviction on our own. We've been discussing for the last couple of weeks the power of words and the choices that we make and the things that we say. And ultimately, the objective is to, and I'm going to add to it this morning, think before we speak. Now, I found it really amusing, and I won't tell on them because I didn't ask permission, but I literally did laugh out loud. I had somebody text me and say, Pastor, I thought about it, said it anyway, and still got in trouble. So if you think about it, uh, don't say it anyways. Listen, um, bless their heart is not a covering for getting to say whatever you want. Um, God bless them is not your opportunity to then speak the, the curse over them. If you have to say out loud, you know, I probably shouldn't say this. You're probably right. Just go ahead and pause right there. Think about it, okay? Think before you speak. And then this is what we're adding to it for the next few weeks. Speak Speak life. Speak life. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. I want you to turn there or scroll there or whatever it is that you need to do. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Um, if you're watching with us live online or you're taking the time to watch this service later, I do want to ask you while you're turning or scrolling there, those of you that have already made it, please help me in welcoming me, making sure that the, all those people know how grateful we are that they're joining us. Just bless them with a little bit of a hand clap of praise. Every Sunday and every week, we have people watch after service and live during service. We've got many people that watch us from afar, which I'm very grateful for. And, uh, and I do want to say it's really good to have uh, my immediate and, and in-law family this morning and my sister and baby Kenley back here in the sanctuary this morning. She looks like her mama. She is beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for those genetics coming through. In the name of the Father. Okay, Luke chapter 6. Verse 45, I am grateful for Pastor Weston stepping in, filling the shoes of Pastor John while he and Tanya are on vacation this week, right before we get launched. Verse 45, Luke chapter 6. I want you to look down at the very end. This is the part that we really want to hone in on. What you say flows from what's in your heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So if you're taking notes this morning... Uh, we've been over this power of life and death. I'm going to review it really quickly. But number one, I want to make sure that you understand, that we understand. I get to choose. I get to choose what goes into my heart, what comes out of my mouth. In scripture, specifically in the book of Romans, Paul makes reference to the fact that before Christ, when we're not in Christ, we actually don't have that choice. Um, we are born uh, into a sinful world, into a fallen world with a fallen nature, okay? And before Christ is our advocate, before Christ is our answer, before Christ is our Savior, the Bible actually says that we are slaves 
to sin. So sometimes when, if a child says, I didn't mean to, they really didn't. They don't understand yet that formerly, before Jesus, before Christ, we are literally bound by our sinful nature. But if we were bound by our sinful nature and then we confess Jesus as Lord, we ask for forgiveness and he comes in and he saves us and the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify us and cleanse us. What we formerly had no choice over, we now have authority over. We get to choose in Jesus' name what goes into our heart, what comes out of our mouth. Formerly, we were a slave to sin, but in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are a slave to righteousness. I get to choose. Listen, that means it's not the devil's fault, no matter how often you blame him. It's not your kid's fault. You were crazy before you had kids, okay? They just like you. That's all, that's personal experience speaking, okay? It's not your situation's fault because you're always gonna be in a situation. It's actually nobody's fault, but you get to choose. I get to choose. And we've been saying my, my conversations are actually a reflection of my condition. My conversations, the conversations that I have throughout the week are a tell sign of my condition spiritually. So you can listen to what you're saying and know what you're choosing. I get to choose. Every word that we say either advances the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Every word that we speak is either life and light or death and darkness, what are we choosing? Deuteronomy, you've heard it several times, but this, I'm telling you, this is a life verse. This is a daily bread kind of scripture. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, today, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and cursing. I, I, I call upon heaven and earth that you would make the right choice. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Listen, I want you to understand this, that when you choose death, specifically in your speech, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody that hears you say it. It affects everybody that hears me say it. Today, I have a choice. I can bless with my words or I can curse with my words. I can speak life with my words or I can speak death with my words. So I call before heaven and earth, all the angels and elders and saints that have gone before us and all of those who are still around us and hear us every day. Choose life. And Proverbs 18, 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So listen to what you're saying. Think before you speak and speak life. So I want to ask this question today. And again, I'm, I'm going to help you with this. I'm not just going to beat you down and then send you out. I'm not like, get out of here. Now go live better, you dirty, rotten sinner. That's not the point, okay? But I want you to ask yourself this question. And then I'm going to show you the, the spiritual significance of this question. Do we choose to contribute or do we choose to complain, 
Do we choose to contribute or do we choose to complain? <laughs> um, I used to pick with my, my dad. He had a, a pretty good receding hairline. Uh, my youngest brother on my dad's side's name is Marshall, and we used to say that, that God tattooed Marshall's name in his head because he had this big M. It went way back and then came back down. <laughs> like, dude, God put Marshall in your head. That's so funny. And, and he would always tell, he would always, boy, you better be careful. I'm going to send a bear after you. Okay, so now all the readers of the book of Kings, you understand this, but at the time I was like, why would you send a bear? I'm just making fun of your baldness. That's not my fault. Okay, so Elisha, in the Old Testament, I was apparently uh, hair challenged. He, was, he had a hard time commanding his follicles to grow. Uh, some of us inherited that genetic. I inherited my mother's genetics. Thank you, Jesus. She got a full head of hair, and so do I. Hallelujah. So, but Elisha, Elisha did not. Elisha was apparently bald. Okay? Elisha had been with Elijah. And he had followed Elijah all the way through this process to where they ended up up on a mountain alone. And Elijah had told Elisha, if you see me go up, okay, if you see me go up, then I'll give you that double portion of the anointing that you're asking for. And so Elisha is there. And he, go, and he sees Elijah transcend into the heavens. He's, heavens, he's swooped up by a chariot of fire and, and he ascends into the heavens. And so I'm sure at some point that Elisha told somebody what he saw. Elijah did not die. Elijah went straight from here into the kingdom of God. Elisha comes down off the mountain and performs miracles everywhere that he goes. And he's walking down the road after having told people about this vision, I'm sure, after having performed miracles and even began to perform a double portion of the miracles and a double portion of that anointing. And he runs in to this group of kids who begin to mock him, descendants, children, and they're mocking him and they're saying, go on up, you old bald head, go on up, which is kind of funny, but ugly, and I don't recommend, that's not, it's not how you should talk to, to elders, specifically elders who are anointed by God and, and called by God. They were mocking him, they were making fun of him, and Elisha would apparently not have done very well in children's ministry because... Because Elisha, when they were mocking him and making fun of him, he called a bear out of the woods to maul them. And a bear came out of the woods and mauled these children. I know that seems a little intense, right? But listen, you think those kids came up with that on their own? Those children suffered the wrath of God because they were repeating what they had heard their parents say. Those children's experience the punishment instead of the promise because of their elders' speech, because the people around them that they looked up to were speaking death and darkness instead of light and life, and their descendants suffered. Do we choose to contribute or complain? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse one. I'm gonna read you several verses. He's writing in light of the Israelites having been delivered from the slavery in Egypt, which is a representation of us being delivered from our sin. And in light of the Israelites, watch what he writes. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware 
that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. What did they eat? They ate manna from heaven. They ate quail from the sea. What did they drink? They drank water from the rock. So the Bible says they had a cloud by day and a fire by night. Listen, all they had to do was follow Jesus and shut their mouth. All they had to do was follow that rock through the wilderness and go where that cloud led them by day and that fire led them by night. God provided everything that they needed to not just achieve their deliverance, but to accept and accomplish the promise that he had put on their lives. They drank the same spiritual food for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Listen, it's not the best idea to only call out to God when something's wrong, when things are bad. It's not a bad idea. We should call upon God when things aren't going right in our lives. But it's an even better idea to call out to God every day in everything that we do. It's an even better idea to praise God in the good and the bad. For example, the Israelites, their sandals and their garments never wore out. Like they spent 40 years in the wilderness and the Bible says their sandals and their garments never wore out. Megan shared her testimony of how she learned how to trust God with the first and the best 10% of, at that time, her finances. Come on, somebody. I married a sugar mama for one year. <laughs> yeah, I was in school and she was working. I got up and made her coffee. Look, I sewed that forward, too. I made her coffee for a whole year. She's been making me coffee ever since. It's been a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful one. She made me sound so good this morning. She didn't even tell you all the stuff she had to correct me on. Just makes me sound like the man of God in my house. But we began to give, and, and, and we learned, we, we just practiced that principle. We practiced that as God purposed in our heart, even when it didn't make sense, even when it didn't line up, because I was more afraid, as she said, I was more afraid to rob God of what I believe Scripture had required than I was willing to hang on to what I had and hope for the best, okay? We practiced that principle. We bought... In 2012, a 2005 Suburban for way less than we should have ever bought that Suburban. I named that Suburban Sandals. I'm telling you, that is the Suburban that has not worn out. Come on, say, it is, it is still going almost 200,000 miles. And listen, I'm not blessed because my Suburban is going well and my Suburban is doing good and everything happens and my kids don't know that there's better vehicles out there. Like, they have no clue. They're like, we love the Suburban. We can eat whatever we want, spill stuff everywhere it just cleans it up for us no that's your mama does <laughs> stop doing that but they have no idea but I if my suburban goes out next week doesn't mean I'm cursed okay and I'm gonna bless God if that thing goes another 200,000 miles I'll just receive it in the name of Jesus if it doesn't we have been setting aside finances because I don't get to fuss at God because I'm being a bad steward come on somebody you don't just hope for the best and then keep on going in the wrong direction. You gotta plan and prepare. You have been given a choice to complain or to contribute, to, to invest 
or to look at everybody that is and snarl at them. There's a difference between calling out to God and complaining at God. Verse five, most of them, God was not well pleased. Most of the people that he had delivered, listen, I think that's happening today. I think God has saved and set free so many people. And for some reason, we just choose to stay in the same circle of a lack of gratitude for what he's done and what he could do. Most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Remember that, lust. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And by the way, lust can't wait five minutes, but love will begin to pursue Jesus now. You don't have to wait on the person that God has for you. You fall in love with Jesus and then he'll show you who you're supposed to be for the person that he can send to you. Because until you learn how to lean on him and love him the way that only he knows how to love you, then you will never be what you could be for the person that he ends up sending you. Lust can't wait five minutes, but love learns how to fall fall in love with Jesus currently and not need anything or anybody else unless he decides to put icing on the top of that cake. Lust, lust, we're gonna come back to that in another series in a few months. Lust for the things that are lusted. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. So we got lust and idolatry. Man, Paul's mad at somebody. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them fell. Like we thought it was bad when Elisha sent a bear out of the woods. But one day, because of the lust and the idolatry, and the sexual immorality of God's people, God eventually said enough is enough. And 23,000 of them fell in one day. Listen, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that a third of the earth is gonna be burned up in a day. Like that's gonna seem like nothing compared to what's coming, but you get to choose to live in the revelation of God or, or, or live in the wrath of God. And I choose revelation. I'd rather have what he has for me than keep on going in that same old direction. In one day, 23,000 of them fell. Verse nine, now, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents, nor complain. Hang on. Paul just put complaining in the same judgment as lust, idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Jesus Christ and complaining. And yet for some reason, the church is as known for their ability to complain as anybody else in the world is. See, there should be something significant that takes place in our lives, a dissatisfaction with complaining whenever we realize what it costs God for us to be his children. What do I complain about? Listen, hear me, I, I wanna say this and then we're gonna shift gears here. But I need you to understand, biblically, absolute, no questions asked, complaining is a sin. Complaining, biblically, is comparable to lust, idolatry, sexual immorality, and tempting Jesus Christ himself. We can't continue to complain. We've gotta make a change. Now listen, condemnation is something that you can't do anything about, but conviction is God's revelation in your life that Jesus Christ 
purchase you the right to make an adjustment and choose differently. Think about what we complain about the most. Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Because the book of Exodus in chapter 16, verse 8 says, What have we done? Your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. So listen, you're not complaining about your boss. You're complaining about somebody that God put in authority over you. You're not complaining about your coach. You're complaining about someone that God put in authority over you. You're not complaining about your situation. You're complaining about whether God is still sovereign enough to walk with you through it to the other side. You're not complaining about your spouse. Come on, somebody. You are complaining about the person that God trusted you to unite their soul with and you walk into eternity together. We're not complaining against what we think we're complaining against. We are complaining against God himself. Now, I saw this article, and I won't say the community, but as the storms were coming, it said, blank, blank, blank residents are fed up with the flooding and lack of drainage in their community. But I guarantee you, if that community went to pass a tax on just cigarettes and beer and taxed the fool out of that stuff, that it wouldn't pass in that city so that that city would have extra money to hire more people to get all that stuff taken care of. Well, they're not doing what they ought to be with the money. That's not up to you, friend. God didn't put you in that position. If God trusted you as much as he trusts them, then he'd have put you there. Either that or run for office and do something about it. But sitting around and complaining about it, and you know what I didn't see? I didn't see in that article about 100 people lined up with shovels digging a ditch to get all the water off that place. So we can either, com hey, com we can either complain or we can contribute. Well, I don't like the music. Well, then learn how to play an instrument on your own and we'll let you write a song. Just, I don't like the direction of the church. Well, that's okay. God didn't put you in the driver's seat. Just support what God is calling you to and the people that he's put in your path. And listen, if you can't honor the authority that you're under, then get out from underneath it and go to somebody else. But I can promise you, you're gonna keep dealing with the same spirit until how you, you learn how to walk with Jesus in that moment, no matter who he puts in front of you. We're not complaining against all these things that we think we're complaining against. We're complaining against the Lord himself. This is Lucifer's plan. It is Lucifer's plan to take our eyes off of God's provision and put it on our limits. He did it to the woman in the garden. He made her focus on the one thing that she couldn't have when God had given her access to everything else except for that one thing. He took her eyes and her heart and he said, look, God has limited you. Listen to me, God is not trying to limit you. He is trying to protect you. He wants to walk in the cool of the afternoon through the garden of life and you trust him and praise him and walk with him for all that he has provided for you. But so often we look at what we can't have or what we don't have instead of praising God for what we do 
have and what he's done. If he did nothing else, he sent his only son to pay the price for our sin. He doesn't have to heal us temporarily. He doesn't have to fill our bank account temporarily. He doesn't have to give us a spirit-filled boss and a spirit-filled atmosphere. You know what God's solution for your work atmosphere is? You. He put the light of the gospel inside of your heart. He put his spirit inside of you. So you're not stuck with those people. They're stuck with you on a daily basis. You can speak life into the atmosphere in which God has positioned and placed you to speak it. So instead of complaining, we're going to refocus. Instead of looking at our limitations, we're going to remember God's provision. We're going to refocus on God's goodness. Number two. Number two. I have to choose gratitude. I have to choose gratitude. In my life, if I don't choose gratitude, then I decide to look at my limits instead of God's provision. When I don't choose gratitude, I focus on what I'm able to do instead of what he's done. This text in 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. And if anybody had the right to complain, it was the Apostle Paul. This man was a prisoner in chains that he did not deserve. He actually writes, we're going to go to the book of Philippians, and I'm going to show you. He writes this text in the midst of being chained to a Roman guard. Paul had this one dream, and it was to go to, the, go to Rome and preach the gospel in the streets as an evangelist, to build a church in Rome that didn't exist at that time. And he made it to Rome, but it wasn't as a preacher. It was as a prisoner. He was chained to a Roman guard. The way that they did this is every couple of days, they would rotate in a new guard for the prisoners to be chained to. Every few days... A, a Roman guard would come in and Paul would be chained to somebody new. So he wasn't living in an evangelist quarters that some of God's people had provided for him. He was living in a dungeon on a floor, chained to a nasty, angry, body odor filled Roman guard as a prisoner instead of a preacher. Now listen, if that were me, I'd have been a little irritated. Like if when God called us to Eunice, if y'all have arrested me and changed me to, now I don't think that all our PD are just disgusting and have excessive body odor, although they may, I'm not really sure. Maybe they've been working too hard, maybe they have been, but if, if I'd have gotten arrested when I came here and y'all have thrown me in jail, I'd have been like, well, thanks, Jesus. I'd have, I would have been stuck in my own perspective. But as a prisoner, Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, verse 14, and he says, Do everything without, without grumbling, without complaining, without arguing. Verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure. See, Paul remembered what happened to the Israelites that complained. Paul remembered what happened to those children that mocked the man of God. See, Paul understood, look, I serve a God of mercy and goodness but I also serve a God of justice. And I know that mercy always triumphs over judgment, but God will have his way 
whether I praise him for it or not. So Paul says, look, whatever you're doing, don't complain about it. Don't grumble about it. Don't be the, the whisperer in everybody else's ear. Don't go talk about people, go talk to people. Do it without grumbling, without complaining, so that you can become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. What he's saying is, stop being like the people that you're complaining about. Contribute something new, something different. In layman's terms, Paul is saying, if you can change your circumstance, then do it. If you have a righteous indignation against something, like Nehemiah realized that there should have been a wall around that city. Well, go take care of it. Go organize a group of people. Come and tell us your dream, your vision, your desire, and be willing to lead that thing and walk in it. Man, this church is full of ministries by ministers that aren't on staff. This church is full of dreams and visions that people have been given by God and they're willing to fight to implement because they don't know if they can do it on their own, but they know that God has called them to do it. And listen, don't you ever begin to be condemned in something that God has called you to. God called you because you can't do it, but he knew that you were willing and he will help you through it. If you can change your circumstance, then change it. Don't complain about it. Contribute. But if you can't turn to change your circumstance, change your perspective. I know you probably should have been a preacher. I know you probably should have been the boss. I know you probably should have headed up that project. I know you should have been the quarterback that replaces Drew Brees. I know. I know it should have been you that was elected to that office and now makes the decisions on that budget. I know it should have been you, but when you can't change your circumstance, you change your perspective. Paul, as a prisoner writes, even if in verse 17, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. I rejoice with you always. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. See, some people think that Paul was talking about his ultimate death when he's talking about being poured out. But that was a present tense progressive verb. Verb, I am being poured out. Spindu is the Greek word there. It was likened to when the priest would put the sacrifice on the altar, they would set the whole thing on fire and then they would go get the expensive wine and they would pour it over the fire and it would sizzle and sear and the smoke and the aroma of the sacrifice would rise up to God. It was like the woman with the alabaster jar comes to the feet of Jesus and she takes the best and the last of her offering and she pours it out on his feet and all the people around and going, what are you doing? We could have sold that. And Jesus says, don't you dare limit to the temporary what moth and rust can destroy when she just anointed me as the savior of the world and the lamb of God that I'm about to become. Don't you dare get focused on the temporary. Even if your health issue is holding back, pour yourself out like a drink offering. Even if your finances aren't lining up, pour yourself out like a drink offering. Even if you're being personal in your workplace, even if your spouse is not living up to the expectation, then remember that Jesus gave himself for you and you can give yourself for them. Walk in what God has called you to. How could Paul be a prisoner instead of a preacher and still rejoice? Because Paul wasn't the center of his story. 
Jesus was the center of his story. When Jesus is the center of your story, you stop being worried about the page that's being written because you see the whole story. You see from his perspective. So number three, I will spend myself for Jesus. Instead of complaining, I'll spend myself for Jesus. See, look, Philippians 1.12, I'm going back just one verse. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Like, I'm not chained to a Roman guard. They're chained to me. <laughs> I got a captive audience from the palace of Rome stuck with me for the next 48 hours. I'm about to change this brother's eternity throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that got stuck in my presence. They discovered that I'm not in chains to a guard. I'm in chains for Christ and Christ alone. I heard an old preacher say, when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. You can look at your situation, stare it in the face in the name of Jesus, and you can see that obstacle as an opportunity. You can see that problem as a possibility. Baby, you can lose faith if you want to, or you can look for reason and let God take a tragedy and turn it into a testimony. You can take a mess and let Jesus turn it into a message, and everybody around you thought you were a prisoner, but what they didn't realize, that you were an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This story's not about me. It's his story. I choose how I see it. And I choose what becomes of it. I pour myself out like a drink offering. My flesh would love to be in Menden, Louisiana with my stepdaddy this hunting season. My flesh would love for my children to get to see their grandparents more often. My flesh would love those things. But God has a call and he's up to something. So I'll surrender the temporary for the sake of the eternal because I'm not writing my story. Jesus is writing my story. Whoever your spouse is, whoever your boss is, whatever your situation looks like, whatever health problem you're walking through right now, Jesus still holds the pen. Will you trust him to make your path straight? Or will you try to do it on your own? Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me this morning? Father, even if, even if what I see doesn't line up with what you say, even if the struggle seems greater, God, even if I'm ashamed and guilty for my own mishaps and bad decisions, will you choose Jesus today? Will you give him your life and not take it back again? If you're in this sanctuary, if you're listening online, I believe 
that God's will for you is to be forgiven and free and live a life of purpose and ultimately impact eternity. But it's gotta begin with your confession. If you'd be willing to change complaining to a confession this morning, if you need to give your life to Jesus right where you sit, ask him to save you, confess him as Lord, stop going in that direction that only fills your desires and live your life as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. We're gonna pray. If you'd like for us to pray for you, right now is your moment. Nobody looking around. If you need Jesus right where you sit today, just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's...